truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here, too. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to join in, 888-933-93 is the number. That's 888-933-93. You can also let us know what you think about what we think. Uh, do that one of three ways. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E, or like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. A lot coming your way here today, as there always is. Now, a lot of the themes and stuff we're going to touch on. If you're, if you're wondering, where did some of these ideas come from? Where do they originate? And if you're thinking of planning next year's vacation already, before you firm up those plans, you need to check out the cruise through history. This is uh, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that uh, Glenn Beck and some of the VIPs here at The Blaze are putting together, where you are essentially going to explore the roots of Western civilization. Uh, you're, it's 14 days through the Eastern Mediterranean, visiting Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, and Greece. Explore the roots of this thing we call American exceptionalism, which has its origins in Western civilization. It's going to be fun. There'll be uh, tons of fine dining, uh, you know, uh, scenic opportunities, but plenty of learning as well. You can bring the kids or the grand and the grandkids with you if you want. And if you want to learn more about the various packages and details available, just go to this website, comesailaway.com. What do we talk about conservatism is? Well, we're, we are seeking to conserve what are the roots of what we're seeking to conserve? You'll discover them on this trip. Go to comesailaway.com. That's comesailaway.com. Later on in today's show, we're going to talk, look back on some of the roots of what we call modern conservatism and modern conservative media as we take, continue our look back at Rush Limbaugh's pivotal book that kind of was the vanguard of modern conservative media, the way things ought to be more than a quarter century later. This week's chapter is on the life issue. Should lead to some fascinating conversations as we find out, is hindsight 2020 or did we go back to the future? Our good friend Bob Vanderplatz will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour too. But first and foremost, we must get an update from Aaron on what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Raids. Immigration and Customs Enforcement carried out a series of deportation raids over only about 2,000 illegal immigrants over the weekend. The raids were focused in Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, and San Francisco. Also this weekend, anti-ICE protesters in Aurora, Colorado, ripped down the American flag at an Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility and raised a Mexican flag in its place. On Saturday, an Antifa activist armed with a rifle and Molotov cocktails attempted to firebomb an ICE detention center in Tacoma, Washington as well. Now would be a good time to start a new segment on the montage called Learning Spanish Today. Today's phrase is, we welcome our new Latino overlords. Damos la bienvenida a nuestros nuevos señores latinos. We welcome our new Latino overlords. Damos la bienvenida a nuestros nuevos señores latinos. And now shooting yourself in the foot. Any phrase that begins with President Trump tweeted over the weekend usually doesn't end well. 
President Trump tweeted over the weekend, quote, So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, the most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. Regardless of whether or not you think that's racist, President Trump handed the Democrats an opportunity to unite. In completely unrelated news, Elon Omar of Minnesota says Hamas is nonviolent. In... In the situation of Palestine, what we are doing right now is having hypocrisy in not celebrating nonviolent movements there and condemning it. In even further unrelated news, Egyptian professor Fouad Abdel Wahid says Jews eat their matzos with human blood. <laughs> بيكون مختلط بال بالدم دم حقيقي آه دم بشري اه اه بيجيبوه منين Kamala Harris struggled to articulate her position on the border. You're for decriminalizing border crossings. You're one of the people that raised your hand at the debate. Do you agree with AOC that we should get rid of DHS altogether? That is not correct. I am not in favor of decriminalizing um, or, or not having um, consequence for it. We have to keep, let me just be very clear. We have to have a secure border. But I am in favor of saying that we're not going to treat people who are undocumented across the border as criminals. That's correct. That is correct. And what we've got to do is we cannot have any more policy like we have have under this current president that is about inhumane conduct, that is about putting babies in cages, it is about separating children from their parents. And we have got to have policy that is about passing comprehensive immigration reform with a pathway towards citizenship, shutting down these private... Clarify this for me, though, because I do find it confusing. I believe if someone crosses over the border, it's illegally, it is illegal, and you you would decriminalize it. I would not make it a crime punishable by jail. I, it should be a civil enforcement issue, but not a criminal enforcement issue. New York City faced an electrical blackout this weekend, and Bill de Blasio was in Iowa. When you're a mayor or a governor, you're going to travel for a variety of reasons. The important thing is to have the hand on the wheel, make sure things are moving effectively and communicate to people. Uh, even from uh, where I was, I was able to do that right away with the people in New York City. Uh, So in the end, a CEO in public sector, private sector has to be able to lead wherever they were. And uh, we got this done. All right. Representative Iyana Presley of Massachusetts said this over the weekend. We don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. Come on. And if you're worried about being marginalized and stereotyped, please don't even show up.
Pollster Frank Luntz shared an internal Democrat poll of swing voters showing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is known by 74% of voters, of which 22% have a favorable view. 53% of those swing voters know who Ilan Omar is. 9% have a favorable view. Socialism has an 18% favorable rating, with 69% having an unfavorable view. 56% have a favorable view of capitalism, while 32% have an unfavorable view. Moving on, actress Scarlett Johansson told As If magazine recently that she has the right to play any role in any film. These new statements come after she was forced to step away last year from a role in which she was supposed to play a transgender person. Outrage followed because she's not transgendered in real life. She was forced to apologize for her most recent comments. And finally, this. It's going to be hard to get on. Auto Zubarco! And that's what happened while we were away. Heron's montage today brought to you by Home Title Lock, a recent episode of 60 Minutes. Um, Should give homeowners uh, a bit of uh, some of the jitters uh, because the FBI's former head of cyber crimes was on there warning us that foreign and domestic thieves can steal our home and do it all online. That's because many of our mortgage notes or our home titles are kept in online databases that can be hacked. And what these scammers do is once they hack in, they then forge their signature onto your paperwork and then they uh, liquidate using your home as collateral. They liquidate that equity that you have earned, that you deserve into your investment. And then they stick you with the payments. And often you don't find out until the late notices, maybe even the foreclosure notices begin to arrive. So here's the bad news. Um, your, your mortgage lender can't protect you. Your identity theft protector can't protect you. But for just pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. They will mobilize if they sense anything nefarious happening with your home's title whatsoever. And you can find out right now if your home's title has already been targeted with a free title scan and report. Here's how to take advantage of that for free. Just go to the website, HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. So let's get to Aaron's uh, montage today. Um, We're going to discuss the internal uh, polling of swing voters that Frank Lentz of Fox News leaked out from uh, the internal polling Democrats are doing. We're going to discuss that coming up exclusively for our subscribers today in the overtime. If you're not yet a subscriber uh, to Blaze TV, uh, it's a good day to start. All right. Uh, BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's how you'll get a reduced subscription rate. That'll give you access to all of the exclusive content we produce each day here at Blaze TV. And that includes today's overtime. We're taping exclusively for you subscribers after we finish today's live show let's get to what's left who who, you aaron said in his montage that scarlett johansson was forced to apologize by who do you know todd no aaron do you know who she was forced to apologize her own conscience yeah yeah i mean who who is who who i'm asking I, i i don't know uh, was she ratioed? And I, I still don't even know what that means. And I don't want to know. Don't tell me. 
because it's dumb, stupid, and it's irrelevant. So uh, some of the clever gifts in the reply section uh, for websites, who forced her to apologize? Maybe David French. Yikes. So we, we, need, we need to, we still got to start asking these questions. Because we are, we are this close, man, to losing whatever is left of sanity in this culture by whoever is forcing people to apologize for just common sense thoughts. Who? Who is forcing them? I've asked this before. Has anybody ever walked up to you, introduced themselves, and said, hi, I'm part of the Twitter mob? Who? Who is forcing? Who are these people? Who do they represent? Where are they from? Why did we give them so much power? Normally, normally, we, you have to have some form of a weapon pointed at you, at an orifice, or at your skull, in order to get you, uh, to, to, to give away so much of your autonomy and freedom and liberty as an individual. This might be the first civilization in human history that cannot actually name who its oppressors are, but it will be surrendering to them nonetheless. All right. So who is it? Who? I want some names. People. Give me names. Line them up. Who? Get back to me when you get those. Who are those people? And, and in some respects, the, the story of, 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 of Scarlett Johansson ties into what happened with, with Donald Trump over the weekend. So, I'm not falling for the video on my tailpipe. I did this show numerous times in the last election. And that one Mexican judge, ring a bell. So, here's, here's, (laughs) you know what? Year of no BS. My inbox today is full of people convincing me that what the president said is racist or 9D chess. I can promise you, you're all wrong. You're, you're all, you're all wrong. Here's what it is. Do you want to know what it is? You don't want to know, do you? You come to this show to be told the things you don't want to know. That's, why, that's our gift to you, the people. We, we tell you the things, you, you come here to be told the things you don't want to know. What, 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 what that was, was an extreme narcissist. Somebody maybe it has narcissistic personality disorder who just simply couldn't handle a major story blowing up over the weekend that he wasn't in the middle of. And so he had to put himself in the middle of it. That's, that's, that's all that it was. Literally 10 minutes before those tweets, the Democrats were spending the weekend blowing each other up on social media. I mean, blowing each other up in like the most public, humiliating way possible. As whatever is they call a Democratic Party establishment was going to open war against the very same people Trump is talking about in those tweets. As if they were saying, and, and I think a lot of it probably had to do with um, what's in those internal polling numbers we're going to talk about in the overtime. 
Like Ocasio-Cortez was cute and all when Pew Research was telling us four months ago that other than white people on Twitter, no one knows who she is. But when their own swing state polling comes back and finds she's got 74% name ID, the adorable factor wears off real quick. (laughs) It's not nearly as cute and it's not nearly as adorable when your own numbers that you're paying for shows 74% of the voters who you've got to persuade in the next election knows who this chica is and only 22% of them are down with the clown. Suddenly, poop gets real. Woodsheds need visiting. Belts are removed. And young lady is told, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. But it's, it's for your own good. See, that was going on over the weekend. That was lighting up. That, that should have been. like the, That should have been the number one story overwhelmingly in Aaron's montage. But thanks to uh, Mr. Trump, it didn't actually even make Aaron's montage. And now most of you are totally unaware that this was going on 12 seconds before Trump tweeted what he tweeted. Don't analyze it. Don't proselytize it. There's nothing there other than how dare you not include me in this story. That's all that it is. His opponents are literally humiliating themselves and blowing themselves up in public. Some writer at the Huffington Post or New York Times, but they all run together nowadays for me, is literally crying. I I can't believe we're doing this to each other. Of course, they call themselves a reporter. (laughs) This is what was going on all weekend long. Democrats got those numbers from Frank Luntz and said, hell no. Hell no. We've let this go on long enough. Whatever, Whatever passes for adulthood in this party must assert itself and was doing so in a very public rebuking fashion. And as you can probably guess from the new leftists, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't taking it lying down folks. Click servatives were tweeting out. This is like watching the democratic party coming, coming apart at the seams in real time. And then five seconds later, they had to do the Linda Blair 180 when, when Trump decided to, Say, hold my beer. And, and they got to figure out a way to now explain how uh, these are master troll jobs. Th- this, there was no troll job here. Nothing was provoked. Nothing genius occurred. Democrats were all doing this to themselves. I would sit here. I'm, I'm not going to take a position on what the president wrote. Because to do so would exercise more, far more brain power than he utilized in writing it. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. And, and essentially, it just becomes the same people saying the same things every time this happens. Isn't this great? We've never seen, we've never seen armpit farting like this before. Just never seen it. It's tremendous, man. No one's ever done this. You've ne- you're going to get tired of all the armpit farts. It's just never been this genius before. And then there will be uh, armpit farting can only be racist. And, and then there will be, does any of, this, any of this sound familiar? 
Then there will be the overreaction, and then the overreaction, and the overreaction. There will be Orange Man Bad, Cheeto Jesus Saves. I'd like it this time, though, with some basil. You know, I'm rediscovering my Italian Sicilian roots, and I'm kind of putting basil on everything. Could we put some basil on this, too? Is that... Would you guys be okay with that? I love basil. You know, I grilled some salmon yesterday, slapped. uh, Basically, I had some salmon with my basil, and it was tremendous. All right, so right right about now, basil is my chocolate. So if you slap some basil on it, I'm in. Aaron is correct. Almost any time a sentence begins with, Trump tweeted over the weekend, it's going to end poorly. All the people who think he can do no wrong still believe he can do no wrong. All the people that believe he can do no right still believe this. No one will go and vote the first Tuesday in November on, you know, I was really on the fence about Trump. And then he tweeted something on uh, July 14th, 2019. And I've just, I've carried that with me all this. No one, no one. 130 million people are going to vote and, and no one, none of them. I can promise you we'll do that. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that this is okay. Because this is, again, you know, I I think we have kind of conveniently chosen to forget this because we are either making excuses in some cases or justifications and rationalizations in others when you're up against the communist bloc that you're just kind of sitting, you, you kind of, you, if, right now, if you're, if you're any kind of a, unless you're just all in on the, on, on the Trump Act, there's probably very few of you watching me that this would entail because I've just, you know, gone out of my way to driven as many of you away as I could. But um, for the rest of us that are trying to ca- maintain some modicum of sanity in between this reality show and the communist bloc. Um, the, the, here's the, here's the, this is another reminder. And, and some of us have chosen to say, you know what? I, I just can't excuse his character and I don't care how bad the Democrats are. I can't overlook it. Have we, have we tried to get you to excuse Donald Trump's character? Nope. Nope. Others of you are going to say, you know what? I, I, I wish I could have a better choice with more character, but I cannot ignore the communist bloc. So I'm going to make a lot of justifications about his character because it's not putting a gun to my head. Have we criticized that position? They're free to do it as well. Yeah. I mean, I think this show has probably held those two positions on and off. All three of us have at various times, sometimes in unison, sometimes disparately, pretty much on a daily basis over the last three and a half years. Is that fairly accurate? Sure. So that's why we are simultaneously sympathetic to both positions, even at the time we're not holding one of the two. Exactly. And then there are times we choose not to even hold either one because it's just so damn exhausting and we just can't do it again. But the reality is he's, he, he let them off the hook. The story of what they were doing to each other publicly has literally disappeared, like a Jeffrey Epstein donation to Harvard. It's just disappeared, or Stein. It's disappeared. It's just like been scrubbed from a news cycle when it was the only story happening 24 hours ago. And many of you don't even know about this. Maybe, you know, that's the art of the deal. I like the art of war better. When your opponent is making a fool out of themselves, get out of the way, let them. 
the nice subtle jab he took on Friday where he kind of came, you know, from behind to defend Nancy Pelosi. That was a nice touch. I kind of thought, you know, maybe our boy's growing up a bit. Maybe he's kind of starting to get it a little bit. I didn't thought, thought that you even tweeted something affirmative about it Friday afternoon after we left here, right, Tom? Yes, I did. I kind of thought, you know, maybe he's trying to figure this thing out a little. Yeah, it was nice. Nice touch. I liked it. And then Richard Marks started warming up. Firing up the should have known better. Because he can't, he can't help himself, man. And he's not going to. He probably could. He just chooses not to. It's id in motion. It's an id incarnate. And so everybody will get together now and line up to overreact, overanalyze, overproselytize, uh, over pearl clutch, over I just can't even. And then they'll go talk to like some swing voters in Michigan. And, and when somebody asks them, hey, what do you think about the way Trump worded this tweet? They'll say, I don't like it. And then when somebody asks him, hey, do you think we ought to elect uh, people to Congress that we allowed to immigrate here uh, that then turn around and blast our country? And they'll say, I don't like that. Which is why this election is going to come down to a very simple proposition, provided the economy stays relatively positively stable. Now that changes, that changes the whole equation. All right. But if that doesn't change, it really is going to come down to this. Are the majority of swing voters, when they go into those polls, thinking everything was fine until this carnival barking con man showed up and turned this into a reality show and I just want it to end? Or are they thinking, boy, I really wish he was more of a grown-up at 5 a.m. there on the golden throne with his phone in his hand. But I'm really far more concerned about what the Democrats want to do for the next, uh, to this country for the next 5 to 50 years. And I just, I'm going to have to put up with it. It's really, and this is another exercise in that. It's been often said in conservative media, and it's accurate. All the Democrats have to do is just not be crazy, right? It's fairly accurate. Well, all he has to do is just shut the hell up while they're being crazy. So, so somebody sent me a note this morning and says, yeah, I'm with you. But he goes, Steve, let's be honest, by noon today. And it's going to be noon soon. By noon today, Democrats will do something. And just as he took their implosion out of the headlines, they will take his away as well. And that's why that's not the equation of this next election is not going to change. Why? Because the people contesting it aren't going to change. They are what they are. He's a narcissist. That's not changing. I think you just reset the one who's dumbest last loses. It, yes. I, I told you before, I told you like seven months, six, seven yeah. months ago, you were a cycle ahead of schedule with that. This is, this is the election now where he's going to be an active participant in it. Where this is a whoever's dumbest last loses election. And the more often he does that, the more he is inclined to bail them out. And then um, they're inclined to bail him out with the crazy. Nothing, this is nothing new. Nothing has changed. We have covered this story how many times the last few years? The comments, the syllables are different. The, the syntax and grammar is different. Whatever is the impetus that, that created this dynamic is different. But in, in, in reality, this is the same old story, same old song and dance, my friend. Todd, am I wrong? 
No, which is why I spend my time this weekend just focusing on the one particular person that just was flat out lying about all this and deserved to be called out, regardless of what anybody else said about me. I'm just tired of that. Call this for what it is, as Steve said at the beginning of the. It's not that, and it's not that. It's exactly what Steve said. And all of the ridiculous, you know, minutes after the church bell rang and people left to drive out of the parking lot, the ridiculous uh, Cheeto Jesus uh, saves or Orange Man bad instantly clicked it. I'm exhausted by it. And I'm just going to tell you all, I'm turning mine up to 11, at least for the foreseeable future. You guys are punks. Yeah. And this is, again, the, the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction is what is most exhausting because with each subsequent reaction, it's just more, um, you know, Cheeto Jesus saves, dial it up to nine. Uh, Orange man bad, dial it up to 10. Cheeto Jesus saves, dial it up to 11. Orange man bad, dial it up to 12. Over and over and over again. Meanwhile, on the left, he's a racist. On the right, for people who uh, don't like President Trump, um, you got to get your virtue signaling in for people on the right who um, who love President Trump. It's uh, this is the best tweet ever. You've never seen any tweets like this again over and over and over again. Same song, different dance, same dance, different song over. And that's yep. the exhausting part of this. It's not it's not Trump. It's not Trump. It's the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction. And it's the same thing every single time, every single time. I, I, it's the same thing. And we will not break out of it. Uh, without revival, because I, I looked at my buddy Chip Roy's account because he tweeted out this morning. He's you know not supportive of telling American citizens to leave the country if they disagree with policy. Just as he's not supportive of uh, letting illegal aliens uh, come across the border and determine policy for the American people. Right, trying to find an adult way to address both sides of the issue. First one hundred comments. Also, oh, excuse racism. Then this is the game. Only way to win not to play more in a moment Millions of Americans live and struggle each day with what's called chronic pain. Now, what is chronic pain? Well, chronic pain is uh, what happens to the body when there's too much inflammation, right? So inflammation is different than an injury, and you can even have chronic pain associated with other areas of the body because of an injury. But if you have an injury, go to a doctor and get that treated. But if you're having struggles with inflammation... What do I mean? I mean, you're sluggish to get started in the morning. You're trying to continue to be active, exercise, work out, but it, it just sort of feels like unless the temperature is 95 degrees outside, it takes you way too long to warm up. Those are some of the early signs, all right? You wake up every morning and, you, okay, you've got a hip flexor issue like I do, but now suddenly, you know, you've got uh, some, some, some back pain and some of those other things, but structurally nothing is wrong. Those are signs of inflammation, and that's where Relief Factor comes in. 100% drug-free, yet it was devised by physicians, meaning people who can lawfully prescribe drugs. And what they saw is, hey, we are just treating symptoms here with prescription after prescription. We want to unleash the body's natural healing powers to push back against inflammation that the creator gave them. Uh, and, and they did this with a unique formula, four key natural ingredients. And if you give this a start i use this product every day I, I can't say enough good things about it i mean it is 
It's just changed my life the last few months. It's that good. Okay. Three week starter kit, a dollar a day just to get started for three weeks to see if it works for you for 20 bucks. What have you got to lose? Except maybe finally, hopefully the pain go to relieffactor.com. That's the website relieffactor.com. Uh, Bob Vanderplatz is here with us from the Family Leader. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing really well. Good to be here. So you guys had your leadership uh, summit on Friday, and I wanted to spend some time with you guys uh, talking about what went down and kind of some of the big takeaways from the event. And this is a little bit different than, I guess, the 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 typical... You know, if we go to a family research council or a American or, or faith and freedom coalition, you know, um, it's the same cattle call, kind of the same nine or 10 speakers. Um, and, and whoever is the Republican in power is, uh, you know, tiptoes between the raindrops and is God's anointed. And if the Democrats are in power, then he's probably the Antichrist, right? You and I have been to a few of those kinds of events. Been right? to a lot of those events. And sometimes, they're, sometimes they're actually right, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's kind of the formula and the format, whether they're right or not. That's kind of like sure. they get together. Who's this year's Antichrist? Who's this year's you know pseudo savior? Right, and then they get a team of speakers to kind of reinforce that. Um, you guys do things a little bit different with the Family Leadership Summit that you held on Friday. Tell us about that. Well, it's our eighth annual Leadership Summit, Steve, and we always highlight principles over politics. Um, matter of fact, we, we really want to find out what is it that drives you? Uh, what comes from your heart? Uh, what are you going to draw a line in the sand for? Uh, how can you inspire our base? So we, we put in a lot, of, a lot of different speakers. Obviously, we had five U.S. senators, uh, from our own Senator Joni Ernst to Tom Cotton to, to Lankford to Scott to Ben Sass. And, and all of them did a great job talking about principles over politics. We had our own governor, Kim Reynolds, and same same type of thing. But we also had you and Brad Stein, who gave a really good segment. And the segment, Steve, I think the takeaway that uh, many people are telling me about your segment is what you said. Let's focus on saving Americans uh, versus America. And maybe in the course of saving Americans, we might just save America. So I thought you and Brad uh, did a great job. Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, just a fascinating testimony. Uh, Rob Rosenbaum of Rise Ministries, uh, who's been diagnosed with muscular dystrophy in a wheelchair, had to get out of the wheelchair to speak at the podium about courage and what the courage it takes to face what he faces every day, but really inspiring all of us. Have courage to take on what you have to take on, especially in this culture. So it was a very uplifting day. It was kind of funny. I told a lot of people, I might even told you this, going into this leadership summit, we're juggling so many balls. It's like, I just can't wait for this leadership summit to be in the rearview mirror, to have it behind me. And now I'm like, I want to relive the leadership summit. And so many people left. It was a packed house. You saw it. But it was a packed house. People leaving going, they wish the day would not have ended. It was inspiring because part of it is uh, we're not in this alone. We're in this together. You mentioned the crowd. And um, share a little bit about that with our audience because – you guys um, actually underestimated the oh. amount of people that were going to come to this because the reality is in the environment that we are in right now, that unless your subject matter is Cheeto Jesus saves or orange man bad, you know, it's, you're not really sure what's going to happen. I mean, if you, if you try to, if you, you know, um, I tried to write a book that kind of moved yeah. beyond that and it didn't work out as well as I had hoped. I've done other things. I thought, 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't think that's going to work. And like they, they blew up beyond what I anticipated. So if you try to break through that paradigm, you're flipping a coin as to how your intended audience is going to react, right? And, yeah. and uh, you know, the reaction you guys got was very positive. Well, the, yeah, and it just inspires me about our base. But I think what it is, we're doing something really unique in Iowa. And it's something that we're starting to export across the country and now being in, in eight other states. But what it is, is uh, we're really engaging the church like never before, the bride of Christ. Because uh, at one point, the church was too involved in politics, meaning we saw government as our savior. Mm-hmm. If we just make government better, we're going to have revival in this land. That was kind of the whole moral majority movement, kind of the response to the Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. But then after that, find out, you know, government's not our savior. And politics is probably not our answer. So let's go to the other extreme and just let's, totally abandon the arena and they, altogether. I'm, getting, not, yeah. I'm not getting involved. And now we're saying, no, 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 no. There's a biblical way to approach this. It's called shepherds of God's church to shepherds of God's government being the timeless voice to a culture. And so when you look at the crowd, a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, uh, and boy, were they inspired. And they're inspired to see what's happening now because of what's happening in Iowa, in Ohio, in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in New Hampshire, in Indiana, in Pennsylvania, in Florida, in Maine, and pretty soon here, Arizona. So it's exciting for them to go, holy cow, we could see revival take place in this country based on the biblical approach in God's word versus some political win. In other words, this is not an outcome-based model as much as what you guys are trying to do is a mission-based model. It is a mission-based model, but what we, we explain, and I did this at the lunch breakout, if we stay focused on the mission, you will impact elections. You'll have a huge well, impact. That's what I try to say about, yeah. you know, let's work in, let's, let's focus on saving Americans and not America. Right. If you focus on saving America, you then you're going to bypass or you're going to supplant or you're going to give equal footing between the gospel and some national heritage legacy that probably isn't as great as you're romanticizing it. Oh, right. And it's, and it's probably great enough on its own without your romanticization, right? Yeah. But that's where you kind of turn, that's sort of the difference between a nationalistic fervor, pride, um, I, you know, idolatry of state as opposed to, you know, this is a culture that was was founded by imperfect people inspired by the principles of my faith. And therefore, you know, I, I want to I want to see it continue to be the force for good and, and, and transformation that it's been in my life, in my neighbor's lives, in my family's life. That's the difference between that's the that's kind of the inverse of, of, of the way we typically approach that. And that's similar to what you guys are saying, which is if, if we focus on the overall mission, you know, if we, if we focus on how do we use every public vehicle we have to communicate and stand for the gospel, when you let the lion out of its cage, Mr. Spurgeon, the outcomes will take care of themselves. Without question. And that's why, you know, you've heard us say it on this show plenty of times, but we, we live it out. So it's not just a saying. That is, think bigger, look higher. And you're right. We're going to deal with imperfect people all the time. Ask your audience, you know, when's the last time somebody that you really put your hope into let you down? You know, Probably what, me about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Well, what guess, elected yeah. official? What what conservative talk show host? What what ministry leader has let you down? Well, it's because we're human. Mm-hmm. But we strive for the perfection that's found in a holy God, and only he and he alone can bring revival to this country. And that's why we're, and he, he's given us a vehicle, and the vehicle's called his local church. And so, therefore... We're, we're utilizing that. We believe you will impact elections, hopefully of ministers of God, and hopefully will influence policy that is righteous in nature. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, that's not our ultimate hope. 
ultimate hope is in a spiritual revival that only he can bring. So I'm fascinated because I was, um, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, was one of your guests on yeah. Friday. I was reading a, a, an article over the weekend in the Christian Post about a, a, it's called Come to the Table, I believe is what it's called. It's a group Ravi Zacharias is trying to start in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's got the, I think it's got Joshua Du Bois, who used to be the faith outreach leader for Barack Obama, a lot of familiar names in um, uh, conservative Christianity. You know, and, and it's people in Washington, D.C. that are kind of trying to bridge how much of the division is real, how much of it is media orchestrated. Is Do we have more in common than we think kind of a thing? Sure. Right? And and Tim Scott was uh, was in this article and was quoted in it as ha- having gone to uh, these events with, uh, with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And, and Tim Scott invoked the name of Cory Booker. And talked about how him and Cory Booker have done events together, how they have done legislation and stuff together, you know. Um, and he kind of views, basically didn't say this, but he views him as a friend. Well, you guys tried to invite all of the Democratic candidates we to your did. event, including Cory Booker. Yeah, seven of them. The top seven the polling, top, which the, included the top seven, Cory Booker. Which, at the time. He, yeah. he, I think you're polling better than him <laughs> now. But, but he was one of the few that actually gave you guys a public response, as I recall. I think we yeah. talked about it at that time, right? It was fairly inflammatory. Yeah, and he's called you guys a bunch of haters, bigots, things of that nature. And yet, his alleged buddy, uh, Tim Scott, is coming and speaking at your events. And... Um, is talking about, you know, the, the partisanship's not nearly as bad. It's not nearly as divisive. The media's driving this. Is, 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 is Cory Booker lying to him or lying to you? Who is it? I think, well, maybe to both. I mean, when you say, is Cory Booker lying to Tim Scott or is Cory Booker lying to me? Right. Uh, you know why I'm asking that, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, my, I mean, or does Tim Scott really not know Cory Booker nearly as well as maybe he might think? I think what it is is to to Cory Booker in a situation like you're you're saying with Ravi Zacharias and come to the table and Tim Scott's a part of that, you know, the barriers are down, it's kind of kumbaya, right. let's find out what we have in common. When Cory Booker's responding to us, he he knows it's gonna play better to his Democrat caucus base to attack me versus saying, Hey, listen, you know, we got some things that we disagree on, but we have more that we do agree on. And so I thought Scott and Langford, matter of fact, Scott and Langford's segment was very inspiring, inspiring from a lot of reasons. One is the scripture flowed out Senator of Senator Scott from South Carolina, Senator Langford from Oklahoma. And that, just that segment, which those two were interviewed, I think was one of the most appreciated by the entire audience. We talked about racial reconciliation. I thought it was interesting, though, where Tim Scott brought up, saying kind of what you said. Listen, a lot of this division is being fueled by how many clicks can I get? How many shows can I watch? They, they make more money off division than by people. Oh, I see that in than, my life. Than by people come together. Yeah. But he also, he, he and Langford threw out the warning, which we're all aware of. Uh, listen, if you're wearing that Christian jersey, uh, they're coming after you as well. I mean, this, the division is very, very real. So if you think it's just about blacks and whites, uh, it's also about people of the Christian faith as well. Well, the reason I bring this up is because I think that this is often presented as a false choice, which is we are expected to disarm and find common ground while you uh, uh, treat us with a plunger the way the NYPD once treated a poor Haitian refugee in a public rest hall. Mm-hmm. And then if and if we don't permit that, then we're racist, bigots, 
um, that this is supposed to be a one-way street, right? Yeah, we and, talked about that before. And, uh, you know, that dog ain't going to hunt. And there's, there's no amount of give you can give to people like that, that they will say, you know what? I previously thought that 997 other times that you gave in to me, you were still a racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic bigot, undeserving of rights and being recognized as uh, adequately human. But this 999th time that you gave me what I wanted, it finally occurred to me, you know what? Maybe you're not so bad. That's never going to happen. You're right. And, and, I, and I see a vast chasm of difference between, at least based on the public information we have, That's why, unless Cory Booker's lying to him, I see a vast chasm of difference between the relationship Tim Scott is publicly commenting on he has with Cory Booker, which you had with the former head of the Rainbow Jihad here in Iowa, the late Donna Redwing. You didn't give her an inch. You didn't back away from anything yeah, that, that, you, that you believed. But part of that same belief system that drove you to take public stands on, on morality and righteousness also said to love your neighbor as you love yourself uh, and, to, um, and, and, and to give everybody uh, the benefit of the doubt uh, where the gospel is concerned. But that didn't mean you gave your principles over in the process. And I, I just want to know how many of these people that think they're hanging out with the likes of Cory Booker is Cory Booker lying to them, or instead of lying to you, are they lying to themselves? Well, I think what it is, I mean, there's no doubt. I would say that they're lying in those environments, and they're showing true colors right. when, when they come to me. And so I think what it is, I mean, for Cory Booker, for Joe Biden, or Bernie Sanders, or Kamala Harris, or whoever else it might be, Elizabeth Warren, what a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity by, you know, you want your faith to take center stage. You want to talk about unifying this country. Why not do that at the leadership summit? Why not have an interview like we had with Langford and Scott at the leadership summit? And at least have the courage to say, you know, we may, we may disagree here, but I still believe. And then give your vision whatever it is that you believe. Instead of throwing out words, you know, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're whatever. Nobody that I know at that leadership summit. Nobody that I know that I hang with on a national basis or international basis is motivated out of hate. It's all motivated out of love. It's motivated out of the scriptures. It's motivated out of there's a higher call to all of this. And we're willing to speak truth in love because it not only honors God, but it blesses people and it blesses a culture. That's why we do the leadership some of the way we do. And I think for the Cory Bookers who you're mentioning, it is a, it's a missed, missed opportunity. I, I agree. I, They'd have done themselves a world of good coming. Sure they would. They could not have possibly lost. Um, and when Corey's pulling the way Corey's pulling, yep. why not try to do and, a and you reboot saw this, or a restart? And, 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 that, and my assertion was already tested and proven true by how many, they've, they've lost nothing being on Fox or anything of that nature. Maybe a Pete Buttigieg would have lost coming to you because his entire premise of his campaign is a fallacy to deconstruct people like you in the public square. And so if we actually turn the cameras on back and forth, let's talk theology, he'd probably get his pants pulled down. Yeah. But the rest of them that aren't really even attempting to be any represent any modicum or vestige of traditional Christianity, they would have only helped themselves, in my view. If they, if they bomb your questions, then they can call you haters and bigots yeah. afterwards and then say, but at least I talked to them. Yeah. By calling you haters or bigots in front of you, and then not talking to them, they're talking to you, they're reinforcing the narrative against you. What I'm concerned about with the likes of Tim Scott, who has had plenty of reservations with, with Donald Trump since he first became sure. a candidate, does he understand why a good portion of his base in a state like South Carolina, and don't give me their racists, because they voted you into the Senate, 
Yep. Okay. So do do they understand why the same folks that are putting a black man in South Carolina in the Senate are running in droves for Donald Trump to defend them against the likes of his pal, Cory Booker? That maybe Cory Booker's not his pal. Right. And and when you give Cory Booker more of a benefit of the doubt than you give your own base, I think Ben Sass was making this mistake last year. And I think he's learned from it and figured it out. And I think he's kicked all forms of ass this year. He's mm-hmm. figured it out. It's not that you can't criticize Trump. It's that you can't give Chuck Schumer the benefit of the doubt while you're doing it. That's right. the that's has Cory. Do you think that the likes of Tim Scott's figured that out? Well, I, I hope he will. And it could be a thing, too. And you know this, too, because even with Donna Redwing, there's times I gave Donna way more grace knowing where she was coming from, than say I would give you in that same conversation. Oh, no, no, Steve, you know a lot better than that. Sure. See, see what I'm saying? Sure. The thing about what you point out with me and Don Redwing, you bet I never gave an itch. Now, I, I did want to love my neighbors myself. It, it developed in a genuine friendship where I gave the eulogy at her funeral, uh, which shows the kind of respect that she had for me and, and I for her, but I never gave ground. And what she respected is I, I believed what I believed to be really real. Where they disrespect you is when you go, you know, now I can become all things right. to all people, not to save some, which Paul would say, but I became all things to all people just to be liked. You know, it's not, a, it's not to be yes. liked. Yeah. It's so you can save some. That's the false choice. We either write everybody off the minute they disagree with us and never offer any any avenue for yeah. redemption whatsoever, or we give yeah. we give redemption away for nothing. So in retrospect, so in retrospect, which would have been great for Tim Scott, would have been, you know what? I'm glad you invited James Lankford to show up with me, but how about if I have a better idea? Let's see if I can get Cory Booker exactly. to show up with me. Yeah. And let's have that, that discussion. That's exactly that what I was trying to get to. Great stuff, Bob. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll come back. Hour number two, live and on demand on the Blaze. Next. We're back with hour number two, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you're listening today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would be very grateful. Thousands of you have done this for us already. Thank you very much because the more of you that continue to do that, the more likely we are to find more people like you and therefore, the more likely we are to get to continue to do this for a living. You know why? I mean, I'm a, I'm a frequent podcast listener myself, you know? So we get to something like we're getting to NFL training camps are getting ready to open up in the next week or so. And I'm looking for a podcast to listen to on the latest things going on in that realm. You know, I'm, I'm far more likely to give something a shot that looks like it's already built an audience because that is often, not always, there's no such thing as anything foolproof east of Eden, but that's often a sign that it's got some credibility, uh, value, etc. So the more of those we get, the more likely we are uh, to get to hang around. So thank you to all of you that leave us those reviews on your podcasting platform. And thank you to those of you that are like, you know what, I haven't done that for you yet, Steve. We're going to do that right now. Thank you very much for those two. 888-933-93 is the number. 888-933-93. You know, we live in a world of truth bombs. And whenever I encounter a new one, I feel obliged to share it with you. So you already know uh, a lot of uh, our views on fiat currency and those sorts of things here uh, on the show. But did you know that big government and big banks are now waging a new worldwide war against cash itself? We are systemically being pushed into a cashless society, like it or not. And there's really three reasons for this. So that every transaction can be taxable, yes. Got to get the money first. 
but then also trackable and blockable. Why? Because in the end, progressivism is about control. That's what it's about. Control. It's called The Secret War. That's the new report from Swiss America giving you all the details on this and how to protect uh, your your wealth, your productivity from the secret war that's being waged on it right now. If you'd like to get this report for free, go to SwissAmerica.com. Again, the website, SwissAmerica.com or give them a call, 800-289-2646. Again, it's free. It's called The Secret War, 1-800-289-2646 or go to the website, SwissAmerica.com. Before we continue our Rush Limbaugh book study, I want to go back and I want to bring you two in on the conversation I was I was having with with Bob Vanderplotz. Because there's a there's a false choice being offered. Well, there's 10,000 false choices being offered, okay? We're talking about the false choice in this particular arena. And why are so many of the choices we're being offered culturally false? Well, because we we've, we've we've lost our anchor. You know, without a vision, the people perish. There's another translation of that verse from the Proverbs that says, without a vision, the people cast off restraint. You know, we, we've kind of lost the, our vision as a people. We're more, we're more uh, wise in our own eyes these days. And so we're just kind of all out there just kind of randomly doing stuff. The stuff that we think is right at the time or feels right or we would like to be right. So we're just choosing to do it, and then we'll like explain later why it is, because it's what I want to do right now. There's a lot of that going on. And, and when, you, when you have that, when you've lost your anchor, your, your, your divine providential anchor as a culture, you're no longer going to make choices from there based off of the presuppositions, the terms, the premises that were that have been providentially defined for you. You're going to redefine those choices and terms altogether based on what is desirable, convenient for you at the time. And since we're all sinners, if we're the ones determining the choices we make, we're going to get a lot of false choices because they're coming from us, from our base nature, from our view of things. And we're not basically good. That's why a lot of the, the choices that are being offered today are false. Because there's, they're not stemming from things that have been revealed in nature or by the laws of nature and nature's God. They're, they're, they're stemming from a pole or how we feel today or what we want to be right or some new knowledge. All of that comes from in here. And in here on its own without those anchors can't be trusted that's why a lot of your choices can't be trusted and are false too and so one of the choices we're being given is um i i saw this today in an argument between two heavyweights in conservative media on twitter arguing about the president's comments and one of them said you know the president won't lose anybody in his base because of these comments and who cares, you know, what Aaron's generation thinks they don't ever, they hardly ever vote Republican anyway. And the other heavyweight and conservative media came back, came back at him with, 
Well, that's a great long-term strategy. Who's younger? He's the younger of the two in this exchange. That's a that's a and happens to be a millennial. That's a great long-term strategy. Let's go ahead and uh, and preemptively alienate the people that will be here longer and voting longer. And do it unnecessarily. Uh, the people that will be here longer and voting longer than uh, Trump's 65-year-old white base. Great strategy. Um, I think that's a false choice. And, and the, the reason I think it's a, it's a false choice is because neither option is, 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 has any nobility, has no virtue. So I, I can say or do anything. Let me put this in my own personal context. I can say or do anything on my show. And as long as I don't lose one of the most ardent, supportive, um, loyal listeners I have, that's what makes it right. I was um, at a, a convention several years ago in our industry when they used to still invite me to these things. They don't anymore. And um, I was on there with another nationally syndicated host. I won't name him. But it's a name... Not not one of the big names, but a bigger name that most of you would know. And he said he thought his job was, you know, to give the audience what it wants. And I was like, I have no idea what, what kind of conservatism that is. That's total moral relativism. I, I mean, I, I don't know how you beat progressivism and, and moral relativism with your own, yeah, your, your own variation of it. That's their native tongue. You're not, yeah, speaking bocce better than C-3PO, pal. That doesn't, that's not how this works. That's why I don't get invited to a lot of these things anymore. Because I just, you know, up front reject all their false choices. And um, due to them, what Shannon Joy has been doing to me recently on the roundtable, it's annoying me. So now I know how it feels. <laughs> but uh, um, I think that's a false choice. Just So, so it, it's right because... The president, it's okay because the president won't lose anybody that was going to vote for him no matter what. Or it's wrong because it alienates the next generation. I mean, I don't think we should unnecessarily alienate them, but why should we assume that anything that alienates them is therefore bad? What the hell do they know? What have they lived? How many families have they raised? How many payrolls have they met? I mean, they've, they've barely begun to live, and they grew up in the most conveniently cushioned, um, spoiled environment in, the, in all of human history. They were born into it. They, so we couldn't even expect them to know some of these things because they were just born in a level of comfort and convenience that wouldn't have forced them to know. I was having a conversation with my son yesterday about some of the things he just says to people. And he's getting ready to go to, to school in the fall, to Des Moines Christian. And like, you got to be a little bit more self-aware. You know, especially among boys. You know, because if you're not more self-aware among boys, they'll, they'll impose some self-awareness on you. And he's, he's 12 and he's looking at me like I am a relic from a foreign country. And you know what, he's right. Because they don't, they, that just doesn't happen that, that often anymore. That's why you guys have bullies. 
you have a bigger bullying problem you ever had before because of your zero tolerance policies. It's like gun, it's like gun control. The bullies never think, you know, I'm just not going to take that kid's lunch money or weigh a lot on him because of your bullying. I was going to do that. I, w- I was going to pick on this kid. And then, you know, I read your anti-bullying policy, vice principal wipe, and decided, you know what, I- I'm going to reconsider my ways. It's like a gun buyback program. The drug cartels never drop off their guns. You do. <laughs> right? So that's not. So the language I'm speaking, which was understood among young males for hunt for centuries in this culture, he is looking at me. I might as well been speaking parcel tongue to him. He probably would have gotten more of that. Actually, totally didn't get it. The notion that somebody in his peer group or age group just might haul off and just slug him in the mouth for speaking out of school, he can't compute that. That's just not permitted anymore. That sort of law of the jungle. Like I remember when we moved to Des Moines when I was 16. And we came here for one year. It was the last time I was ever bullied in my life by somebody other than my dad. A kid named Nick was bullying me constantly. And I let it go at first because I wasn't sure if, if I retaliated, if Nick's friends were going to jump me. After a couple of weeks, I realized Nick was kind of his own enterprise. One day, he undercut me in gym class. Going, after I stole the ball from him playing basketball, I went up for a layup. He raced down the court, and I'm in the air laying the ball in, and he undercuts me, and I fall really hard on the floor, on my face. Whole gym class, it was such a loud thump, whole gym class stopped. I grabbed the ball, I got up, walked right over to him about three feet from him, launched the ball at his face as hard as I could to knock him on his ass. And then I jumped him and I beat the living hell out of him until he started to cry. And the gym teacher let it go, knowing this needed to happen, had to go down. And then the minute I had the advantage so that I couldn't seriously hurt this other young man, that's when the gym teacher stepped in. dealt some discipline to both of us, and the rest of the school year, we got along great. This was called growing up, right? When you were, Where you're from, right, Todd? It was. I've to, been... to, my 12-year-old son looked at me like I was, this was like pioneer days. Like he doesn't, and his friends wouldn't get it either. They just wouldn't. They just wouldn't. So I don't, I don't know why we're making the assumption that what offends a gener- the most spoiled generation in all of human history that couldn't even possibly begin to um, contemplate the second or third law of unintended consequence of actions they faced no intended consequences for. Why are we assuming, therefore, whatever offends them is bad? See, that's a false choice to me. Things ought to be judged, good or bad, on the merits, not on the desired outcome. So my buddy Bob Vanderplatz can have a relationship with one of the country's most foremost powerful at the time, rainbow jihad activists, because this is missional to him. He's trying to show Christ's love to her. He's not looking for an outcome. Hey, I want a headline. I need you to know. I, hey, I make sure you, you, know, you realize I'm not as bad as those other Christians you run into. I'm one of the nice guys. He's not looking for that. And so instead of trying to generate an outcome from this, he's focused on the mission. And that's, and that's how that relationship grows and gets friendlier while his activism stays pretty much right along the same line of principle as it's ever been. What I'm concerned about with the likes of a Tim Scott, when you're showing up at Ravi Zacharias events and talking about how Cory Booker's your buddy, Cory Booker's out there slandering the brethren, Tim. Have you defended us? 
Paul's pretty clear in Galatians, let us not give up doing good, especially to one another. The brethren come first, not the enemy, not the pagans. The brethren do. Just as judgment begins in the house of God first, grace and mercy among the brethren starts there first, too, Tim. So while your buddy Corey is out there, you're coming to Bob's event, speaking to his audience in Iowa, first in the nation caucus state. I'm sure that's a coincidence. So you're coming there and talking about, you know what, man, we're, we're getting along. We're nicer. It's not as bad. Your buddy Corey Booker's out there with forked tons slandering the brethren. Have you said anything to your buddy? Have you, have you gone to your friend and said, hey, man, what's up with that? Because I can sure as hell tell you, I would have, like, long before I called him my friend, might have checked in on some of that. Because Tim would be one of those guys that's really concerned about Trumpism. There is no Trumpism. There's a, there's a Trump personality. And it's one a lot of people have glommed onto because, Tim, they realize folks like you weren't going to defend them from the likes of Cory Booker. And you're not giving them a choice, Tim. Because the choice is be nice and let Cory Booker run roughshod over your way of life. Or just put up with everything Trump does and says because he's the only defender you have. If you present that false choice to people, be nice and die, or put up with all forms of depravity and live, what do you think they're going to choose, Todd? A lot of them are going to take the living. They're going to take. They're going to choose life. Okay. And that's my concern. Is I think this is a false choice. You want to talk? Hey, we're going to be nice. We're getting along here. It's not nearly as divided. I don't know, did you tell your buddy, Cory Booker, that you're quoted as talking about being your pal in the Christian Post? Did you, tell, did you let Cory in on how we're not all that bad or divided? Because he's out there slandering your brothers and sisters in Christ and brethren all over the fruited plain. While you're hanging out with Ravi Zacharias and telling the Christian Post, Cory Booker's not such a bad guy. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on that? I'm, uh, yeah, I got a little exhausted uh, by this weekend, so I, I certainly have uh, thoughts. Was it on air or off air? We were talking about, um, you know, just where we are in terms of judgment. I think it was off air, but that this, you know, there, there might just be nothing to be recovered at this point. The spanking may be going on uh, because th- this is just an intolerable level of stew i'm in a i'm the guy on this show who talked about uh uh roll tide evangelicalism how when we had many choices that objectively line up more with what a certain uh section of the republican party has said it believed cast it aside in favor of donald trump and now i'm here i have to defend donald trump the way i had to defend her kavanaugh you we're just simply going to throw out uh Race bombs endlessly because it makes us feel good. That's the shiniest idol of all. And it's being held by some of the heavyweights on the right. It's just, it, it's impossible to find the way to share a common humanity and move forward with this as the game that it, it's all you want to play. It's all you want to play. Um, I, I, again, I said it earlier today, I, I'm not playing um uh, i i'm not in i'm i'm not entirely um 
you should know this by now, but I just, I just don't care if it's going to hurt your feelings if you are that callous with such a word like that. You have become exactly that which you behold. There, there, has been, there was no room, zero room, between Talib, AOC, and company and names on the right that were acting from their playbook this weekend. It, it, this hybrid of conservatism and progressivism that is being tried by the smart set, good, have fun losing. I really wish we could say that um, we fundamentally don't know who our enemies are. I think what is more, what is more accurate to say is that because of what you just articulated um, a few moments ago, Steve, is that we don't even, we can't even agree that we have enemies. I mean, you can't, if you're on a, if, if you're in the midst of a battle and, and our generation, and quite frankly, for most of you guys' generation, you and Todd's generation as well, I mean, what, what true um, cultural or existential battles have we had? I mean, you know, during the Reagan years, it was commun- but with my, with my generation, the younger generation as well, what existential fights have we admitted that we've had and that we have said that we de- definitive, we don't know how to fight. If you don't even know how to fight, how are you ever going to admit that you have an enemy, much less, much less admit who that enemy is? And it's because of this that we that we keep falling for the banana in, in the tailpipe. Okay, you can you can guys swap out um, swap out Tim Scott's name with any swampy creature whatsoever. I mean his. That tale is old as time. That is what we're dealing with here. I wish it were different, but we do not have the eyes to see. I, w- I wish we could even, I wish we could agree who our enemy wa- it was. We can't even agree that we have an enemy because we don't have the eyes to see. And again, it all goes back to revival, revival or bust. We're not going to have those eyes to see without revival. You know, Tim Scott is the reason uh, a judge, a lot of people on the right wanted appointed didn't get on the federal bench because he didn't like something he wrote like 20, 30 years ago, if I remember right, when he was in school about affirmative action. And that's, I mean, that's his prerogative. And if the voters of South Carolina like that, they can hold uh, Senator Scott accountable for that. Why is more grace being offered to Cory Booker for what he said about the brethren 10 minutes ago? Why, why, why are, is he offering more grace and mercy to him? than is being offered to a, a judicial nominee for what he wrote about affirmative action decades ago. Do you know the answer to that? No. There's several potential answers to that. They're all bad. All bad. And so if you guys want to know why aren't there any alternatives to Trump, why do people just put up with everything he says and does, because if the alternative is Tim Scott and his buddy Cory Booker, that's not an alternative. Nope. It's just not. It's not an alternative to people. That's the loser. Die, die while they, th- you know, they'll think you're nicer while they're finishing off your way of life at the exact same time. That's the exact loser hybrid I'm talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Now that's a false choice. I've been doing everything and all three of us have nearly every day for the last three and a half years to push back on this false choice. But I understand why there are far more people attracted to living than dying. I, I'm far more, attra- I, I totally understand it. I'm kind of a fan more of living too, you know? 
But I, you know, my faith says I also have to be willing to lose my life to find it at the same time. That my citizenship is ultimately not of this world. That's why there's a lot of tension on our show often with the false choices presented daily. Because a lot of times the audience wants us to navigate choices that our, our belief system says we're not even allowed to make. That could create tension, do you think? Yep. There could be some tension there. When a good portion of your customer base and audience is saying, justify a choice or help me navigate a choice that the belief system of the hosts say we don't have permission to make. (laughs) There'd be tension there. Doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic to you, though. I totally get it. So when I I, I get, I get why you're just going to put up with everything Trump says and does. I get it. Whether I agree with it or not, I get it. I understand. I'm empathetic to it. So what I'm trying to figure out is, do the Tim Scotts of the world understand it? Because bringing the wolf into the sheep's pen and saying, hey, hey, lambs, I want you to meet my friend here, Wolfie. And, you know, pay no attention to the, to the, the fangs and the, and, and, and the frothing and the claws. I can promise you we're pals. We're buds. We even, you know, we've, we've even spoken to conferences together. We even stood up for, uh, for justice for sea turtles together. And amphibians ought to be treated better and let out of the swamp earlier. So we're pals. You can trust this wolf. Take my word for it. Meanwhile, the wolf is out there. Well, he's not rolling with you and hanging with y'all. What do you think the wolf is doing? Wolfy things. So the same family leader that uh, in, it was kind enough to give Senator Scott an audience, your pal Cory Booker's out there calling them subhuman. So is he lying to you, Tim? Or is he lying to his base? Or are you lying? Because if you think you can simultaneously be friends with the one who thinks the audience you want to speak to is a bunch of racist, misogynistic, homophobic bigots who don't deserve to have their opinions heard in the public sphere, and the person making that charge, that you can simultaneously be friends with them. I got a best-selling book. It's got 66 different sub-chapters, lots of different authors, and it sold more copies than any book in all of human history. I'll give you you a free one. It says otherwise. That's not how this works. Do not think I came to bring peace, but a sword pitting even the most intimate relationships against one another. Why? Why? Because the truth is divisive. That's racist, Steve. That's what I'm told. And that's I'm trying to figure out if Tim Scott understands that or not. And, and, I, and I'm singling him out, but he's legion. For those of you who still can't understand why a good portion of Trump's base isn't as worked up about his comments about R- R- Tlaib and Omar and Ocasio-Cortez as you are today, it's because some of them are in a cult. 
I think we were like the first show to ever call this Trump cult because we were on the front lines of this in Iowa during the caucuses. Some of them were in a cult. I've been up against that. I mean, I just had a woman tell me last week that Trump would have secured the border if I had supported him on the show more. Because you're right. The 39th ranked show on Stitcher is totally why the most powerful man in the world can't militarize or shut down the border. You're right. It's us. If that's the case, I need to get paid more. I'm far more powerful than I thought. So some of them are. I don't deny that. But a good portion of them feel they have no other chance, no other, no other choice. The choice is, I'm nice to Cory Booker and he slits my throat anyway. Why, why would I do that? The Talibs, Omars, Ocasio-Cortezes of the world are trying to end my way of life. Why the hell do I care about offending their heritage? Because they don't seem to care about offending mine. Right? Yep. Doesn't make his comments right, wrong, indifferent. Because it's not even about Trump. You're making it about him, so congratulations. You're just as narcissistic as he is. It's about the people, man. It's about the future. So if, if you know of a way that you can not be nearly the narcissistic douchebag, but then all, but show that you're willing to actually stand up for people's freedoms and liberties, who's doing that, though? Who's modeling that? Do you know who it is? Nope. No one is. That's why you don't know. It's either let me just tiptoe through the tulips with my buddy Cory Booker while he goes out there and just slanders the armies of the living God in the Valley of Elah. Or everything Trump, Trump is great. Cheeto Jesus saves. That's the only choice being offered to a lot of patriots today. And it's going to get increasingly easier for those folks to swallow their bile and discomfort with Trump. If the alternative on the right you're offering them is, Cory Booker's my buddy. Any final thoughts on this, gentlemen? Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a tough sell when it's either... Um, you know, uh, debauchery. I love, I love whatever uh, rung of debauchery or uh, idiocy that Trump may be up to on his Twitter account today, or uh, a little light, uh, nicer, um, uh, you know, shades of of uh, of gray of Sodom. Uh, it, that's basically the alternative that we're being uh, offered. To put it in a, a little bit different terms, it's either everything Trump this um, this uh, unregenerate person does is awesome, or a little nicer version of of Sodom. That's that's never going to sell with at least a good chunk of people still. And that's why his core base says because he fights. You could fight them, Tim, but you made friends with Cory Booker while he was slandering the brethren instead. So that's a you problem. <laughs> Hey, do you have a stoplight at your kitchen table telling you when it's time to stop eating? Of, of course you don't, because uh, you should get arrested for that level of creep.
All right. The, the good thing is you know, your creator uh, put one in your body. It's got a long name, but its abbreviation is three simple letters. OEA. And all it does is send a signal from the gut up to the brain when you're eating to say, hey, we're full. We're done down here uh, and uh, move along. Uh, the problem is for too many of us, that signal just isn't as vigorous as it needs to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. Uh, this isn't loaded with chemicals. It's not a stimulant. It doesn't have a bunch of caffeine. Uh, the goal is simply just to put that OEA. That's all Riduzone is, is to put that OEA right back into your body to help you uh, regulate appetite, cravings, get that metabolism to clear the way for that metabolism to do what it used to do when you were younger. I tell my kids stories sometimes about how the old man used to eat back when he played sports when he was younger. And they like see me counting carbs and calories and stuff nowadays. And they're like, you lie, you lie. <laughs> and, and that's not even counting all the beers we drank at night after eating like that. <laughs> all right. So yeah, we used to get away with stuff like that. That might be the way. By the way, if you did that like I did, that, that could very well be why your OEA is not working right now. <laughs> the choices you made uh, back in those days could be why you need Riduzone these days. All right. So if you want to give it a shot, Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. That's the website. Use my name, Steve. They'll give you a special offer code when you check out at Riduzone.com. All right, man, let's get back to the book study. We started this several weeks ago. Looking back over a quarter of a century now, that seems weird to say. 1992 is when still what is the best-selling uh, political nonfiction books in American publishing history was released, Rush Limbaugh's The Way Things Ought to Be. And we're taking a look at this. It's been fascinating to, to, to look at the, the conversation we've had about each of these chapters because Aaron is looking at it from the perspective of a, of a young conservative who is is hearing all this eloquence about these principles that largely are just vacant from today's conservatism right right and you're kind of like where did this go wrong what happened yeah, yeah. and todd is looking back at it through the um here's how we made it go wrong and how we let it go wrong right sure and i'm and i guess maybe because you know I'm the guy who's the author and the and the host here. I'm a little sympathetic to having your work judged in the rears 25 years, you know? Um, and so I've kind of been a little bit more sympathetic in that it's hard to judge him harshly for the things he was saying in 1992. Um, I think, so I think all three of those perspectives have made for a good conversation. At least I hope so. This week, we're on Chapter 6. Rush titled it back in the day, Abortion, Our Next Civil War. And I'm going to turn this over to you guys in a minute because I talked a lot uh, a few minutes ago. But in my view, the single greatest, most brilliant thing Rush has done in his entire radio career is highlighted in this chapter. And you remember that happening? I do. Because I don't. Yeah, I, re I, re I remember I remember him even alluding to, I don't remember the day that he talks about it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember him alluding to yeah, it. Yeah. I'd, I'd watch, you know, they'd put uh, Rush to Excellence, I think was the name of his tour when he was really getting huge. And I would, you know, before we had YouTube, you'd watch, you know, they'd sell videotapes and stuff and you get, you know, copies of it. And he'd show those uh, clips like on his uh, talk show. He used to have a late night talk show sure. back in the day that was very popular. Um, but the the caller abortions, in my view, might be, the, it's the single most brilliant thing that he ever did. 
because it's it's using and it's it's using all of the vernacular and all of the scams and all of the lies of what has been the flashpoint issue in this culture for going on 50 years now and and putting it back on them in a way that if they get offended they will reveal um their own scam and uh, if they don't then they have to practice some form of of willful um ignorance by pretending not to hear the reality of of, of what's happening in and in many respects it's it's a radio gimmick version of what the movie unplanned did earlier this year showing you what is really going on and i would bet in 1989 that unless you were watching Bernard Nathanson, you know, you know, silent scream videos back in those days, I, I would guess the vast majority of Russia's own audience really had no idea what was going on with the procedure of an abortion until they heard those suctioning vacuum sounds and some of the other things that went along with it. So, um, I, I thought, I, I, I think it's it's the greatest most brilliant thing he's done in his entire radio career. I don't know if he still does a lot of that. You know, those, I mean, I'm on the air the same time he is, and I don't have a chance to listen to a lot of other conservative media nowadays. And frankly, when I'm not on the air, I I keep track of what's going on on Twitter to stay informed. And then I try to get away from it. So I don't become consumed by it, particularly with football season approaching. I do a lot of other non-sports topics, sports and theology, or non-political topics, sports and theology when I'm not on the air. So I have no idea uh, if if it's just all you guys tell me who listen, it's just all today and Trump. I don't know if that's true or not. But back when he was still doing a lot of the cultural issues, to me, this is where he shined. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this chapter? Uh, I came across, and perhaps it's my mood, which I think is clearly not stellar at the moment. You're kind of where I was at on yeah, Friday yeah, when I let myself yeah. believe he was going to defy the court, mm. and then he didn't, and... I was. I'm not sure if I was angry at him or myself for for falling for the banana in the tailpipe. Right? Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. I, I'm I'm left uh, at lost the the sense of lost opportunity in the now two and a half to three decades that have passed since this chapter was written. I, this was a more I, because I wasn't aware of that what you're talking about. I don't, and if I was, I just simply don't remember it uh, with the caller abortions. So, and that comes. Uh, he talks about that at the end of the chapter, but mm-hmm. even everything before that, it was a. More, it came across as more more earnest, more thoughtful. There was more depth to it, more weight than I anticipated uh, b- back then. And look at what's happened between now and then. Uh, he. The, the, but within everything I just said, you can see the punches being pulled because with all of the gravitas that he brings to the table, he, he continues to say, uh, I know there's a lot of people who uh, don't see it my way and these are tough issues and things like that. Those aren't, those aren't dominant there, but they're there enough that you can see why he could be as good as he was at not only writing about this, but then articulating it in the way with the kind of theater mm-hmm. that you need to, to draw hearts and minds. But if it, if it really was all that in there, Rush Limbaugh was the kind of guy back then who could have said, on this hill, I'll die on. I, I know what I've said about this is about entertainment and things like that and broadcasting, absolutely. But I'm picking this hill. And I'm going to make it more about 
all of the things in here. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to press this because it's that important because I can see if we don't value this. And he talks about his chapter. If we don't value life, it the thread will continue to be pulled. Our, our moral foundations, we will lose them. He was right. So it's worth fighting for. It's worth dying on that hill because it's not just one issue. This is not just about, this ultimately is about the foundations of who we are as humans. It's not just one political issue. He clearly throughout his career chose not to do that. He was one of the few back then who could have. And so I, I, I'm left, I, I think I would have been less disappointed if I thought this was just kind of a throwaway check the box chapter that he felt he had to write. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that sense. I, I sensed some fire in the belly, but I just didn't understand is enough sense of how you are called on certain issues to fight that you're not called to on other issues, even issues that are fundamentally important to the nature of conservatism. that you, We still have a, just as in with the Ten Commandments, they're all important, but there's a hierarchy of values. Rush, as great as that is, and I can't believe that he did what he did there because it is brilliant, just like you said, Steve. But to do that, and after two weeks, because he's getting pressure, say, okay, enough, I've made my point. Clearly, you didn't. That was the time to forge ahead. And I'm not just blaming him alone. You clearly had a bunch of people who weren't willing to be your wingman. It just goes to show the cowardice of a movement that's not really a movement and hasn't been for a very long time. Listening to you sparked a memory that I had not thought of in many, many years. Uh, One year at college, um, we had a, uh, a... campus evangelist out on walking the grounds and i was you know at michigan state at, at yeah. michigan state wisconsin they were big yep. too yep. Uh, at, and i was you know college republican and been volunteered you know local party stuff in kent county and stuff when i was younger in high school and like a lot of folks that grew up white and in the suburbs in the reagan era i thought because you know um i believed in uh, the ten commandments and um the constitution that uh, that meant I was a, and we celebrated Christmas and Easter. That meant that I was a Christian, right? And I remember at the, I hadn't thought about this guys in so long. I, I remember being really offended at. Now I would describe it as courage of conviction, but this guy's, um, what I perceived in the self confidence of of his particular narrow view. Of, of the issue of life. That was one of the issues he was speaking of that day. And I, he was speaking to a large crowd and getting attacked and I went up and introduced myself and I, I remember telling him, I'm a conservative too and I didn't even realize what a campus evangelist was because I'm, you know, a pagan. And, uh, you know, I'm pro, I, I, you know, I believe in, he goes, I'm pro, but I'm pro-choice. I just want the choice to be life. I quoted exactly from what Rush used to say on a show. And I remember him looking at me and saying, well, that's a nice quote from Rush Limbaugh, but what do you believe? And, and why would we ever choose, for, choose to let someone kill an innocent being? And I remember walking away from him thinking, you know, what a douche, man. And I'm, I'm, I, I basically agree with him, but if I don't, you know, line, and it's funny, I'm the guy on the other side of that conversation yeah. now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I've been, I've been on both ends of that conversation. And it's why, it's why that, it's why I, the biggest problems, now that's going to change in the era that we're getting into now. But early on, the biggest obstacles and adversity I faced in my career was not from the left. It was from yeah. people kind of camped out in the neutral part of the right. Isn't who were big- beyond offended at the certainty I wanted to bring to the table. And I forgot that I, you know, I had a conversation with a guy like me yeah. 25 years ago, and now I'm that guy. I mean, that's a chapter. <laughs> You're kind of, fe- I'm interested to hear it because you're kind of feeling it. Rush actually had it, it, it going on there. And then that great example of theater. And then at the end, it's basically, but after two weeks, it was upsetting some people. So we put it aside and we moved on with our life. And now we're going to read about the next chapter next week, which will probably be about, um, you know, tax reform or something, which... An opportunity lost. It went, after two weeks, you give up on this? This is a fight of a lifetime, not for two weeks. It's funny you say that word because we haven't even mentioned the cha- the um, we haven't even mentioned the title of the chapter yet. I don't believe in this entire segment. I know. Uh, abortion, our next civil war. Yep. You give now, those up after two weeks, right, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I or spit up my water. Or forty years, um, because. <laughs> We got bored. Thought, yeah. Let's do a better civil war. Yeah, you never seen a civil war like this before. Yeah, I I was impressed. I, I don't know. I mean, you guys tell me. Maybe his arguments were a little bit ahead of the curve as far as the rest of the pro life movement. The illustrations that he used to point out the fallacious nature mm-hmm. of uh, of pro aborts. Uh, even even the pro I'm pro choice, but I want that uh, choice to be life. He explains what he means by that and how he was just illustrate. He was doing that to provoke the other side, um, and he even to some degree, not not to the full extent, but to some degree, he even properly diagnosed the transcendent issue overriding abortion. He doesn't so much address what should be you know what the ethic is that should come in and um, to fill that vacuum. No pun intended. Once it goes away, you know, once once um, abortion, you know, God um, uh, hopingly goes away. But he does, to some degree, actually diagnose the the I, I want total autonomy over my body. I want I don't want people to tell me what to do with my wallet and my, my zipper. That's basically his his analysis. And and maybe he was ahead of the curve with some of those arguments. But it sounds like the exact same things we're saying today. Mm-hmm. And so, well. Why? If it's really our next civil war, that was 20 years ago. That was a really, 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 really cold civil war. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys can tell me uh, if, if we actually did have a civil war over this. It certainly doesn't seem so. It's your whole lifetime. Has it felt like one, Aaron? No. No. I mean, I think we're certainly closer. You've been begging it's, for the it, civil it, war. It, it certainly feels closer now to a civil war with some of these actual legislative um, progress that we've been making. But it doesn't. At the end of the day, where where's the actual fighting going? Where, where are where's the where is the um, metaphorical? Because we already have enough of a reality of a body count. Where's the metaphorical body count on their side? It's very very few. There are some, but it's very very few and far between. So we never had that civil war. We had a lot of great sounding arguments. We have a lot of great sounding arguments. Never had a war, and the babies keep dying. And abortionists' pockets, abortionists' pockets keep getting lined. Wash, rinse, repeat. We got to vote for Republicans to save the babies. Don't save the babies. 
more babies die. We got to vote for more. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. We're going to run short on time, so I don't have time to either affirm or debate what Aaron just said. So for the sake of closing things out, a question to ponder. Let's assume what Aaron is saying is correct. At what point then did this become paint-by-numbers checkboxes? And did it become because it because did it be, did it did it happen at the point that our audiences just weren't interested in the level of commitment it was going to take to really end this kind of evil, and so the 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 hosts just figured out I, I'm I'm I can't go to war with my own customers like that, that's not a it's not a profitable business plan, or did they lose interest and therefore their audiences because they just were following personalities lost interest in that level of commitment it was going to take at this at the same time which which of those two things occurred because the answer to that question will give us will, will give us quite the preview of what things will look like when Donald Trump leaves the stage which is it something to think about Hey, before we get out of here, if you're thinking of getting into the real estate market, you want to check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a company started by Glenn Beck and some of his friends, tired of real estate agents who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the promised results when needed the most. Uh, results like, you know, finding a real estate agent that has a track record of success, that understands algorithms and outliers both, meaning knows how to really read the marketplace and anticipate what that means for you, whether you're buying, selling, or buying and selling. Uh, and then thirdly, how about just returns calls? Get so you get along with that person. It, it, it's a very relational process between you and your agent. So the likelihood you'll be successful if there's not a rapport there diminishes all the more. If you're looking for an agent that you can trust because they check all three of those boxes, then this is the website you're looking for. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's unfair to ask this of Aaron given his age. So Todd, you and I are roughly the same age. Let me ask you. Do you think the likes of Rush just lost interest in, in the level of commitment it was going to take to end an evil like this, and the audience just followed suit? Or do you think the lack of their audience just wasn't ready to make that kind of a commitment? And the host ultimately said, like I mentioned earlier, when I was on a, was on, I was on a panel you know, several years ago, and somebody in our industry said, my job is to give the audience what it wants. Because the answer to that question will give us quite the preview of what's going to come post-Trump. What do you think it is? I don't, I'm asking. I think, uh, remember I called uh, Trump the first rush presidency well trump was a guy who's going to have to be dragged to certain things daniel horowitz said that next week so was um rush Last on this week, issue. you don't see the future uh so uh, so uh so is uh rush and i think rush saw that out in the movement they all they had a two-week window on their fire in the belly too hmm Back at it again tomorrow for the rest of you that are subscribers. We're going to tape a little overtime for you. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.